I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. I'm delighted to be joined today by Karen Thomas Bland, a Chief Transformation Officer that has worked on programs at a global level um, across multiple sectors with some of the bigger consultancy firms. And more recently, is the founder and director of Seven Transformation Limited. Well, thank you, uh, Karen, for uh, agreeing to, to join us on uh, the Inside Track podcast. Um, with over 24 years' experience leading uh, complex enterprise uh, wide transformation and um, MA integrations, um, I'm really looking forward to exploring your experience a little bit further and, and, and really starting to understand how you've adapted your approach over the, over the 24 years. But um, we always start these podcasts with um, a, a recap on your career to date. So if you could just give us a, a quick pen profile of, of your experience and what you've been, uh, been involved in, that would be great. Fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tony, for having me as well. Really, really fantastic to be here. So um, yeah, what have I been doing over the last 24 years? So I'll break it up. So the last 10 and a half years, I've been running my own consultancy business, uh, seven, seven transformation. And absolutely, as you said, I do large, complex, enterprise-wide transformation and integrations, particularly for um, large FTSE companies or uh, private equity funds. And then I've also been a non-exec director on uh, private equity-backed businesses who are also going on pretty much a, another transformation, typically going from services to SaaS businesses. Before that, I was in IBM. I drove IBM's global transformation. I based myself out of New York and then Dubai and Sao Paulo. So I had an international um, career driving a lot of change and transformation at IBM. Uh, before that was KPMG, building up a new uh, consulting practice around uh, strategy and transformation. Uh, before that, a range of boutique consultancies. But I actually started my life as a business psychologist. That was my initial okay. training and so I started very much around the people elements of a change but then uh broad, broadened out so that that's me right it'd be interesting to explore that a little bit further um as as we progress on this on this podcast I'm sure it's uh, informed a lot of what you've done um in in, in the program since since then um, but again the, the first question really that, that is common to all these uh, these episodes is how do you define transformation? And especially bearing in mind the broadness and, and, and breadth of your experience, it'd be really interesting to get your perspective on the uh, on, on that definition of transformation. Yeah, Tony, it's a great question. And I think one that gets a lot and a lot of confusion and banded around a lot. So for me, when I think about transformation, I'm working with the business to say, how do you create value now? And how will you create value in the future? So where do you see uh, the profit pools? Which ones are growing? Which ones are shrinking? So it starts really from a, from a strategy conversation. So for me, transformation is enterprise-wide. Everything is on the table. So whatever's up for uh, debate and challenge, it's the old organization where you're having that conversation. It's owned by the CEO. Um, and I distinguish that from change management. So change management to me is a process. It's absolutely fundamental within any transformation. But you can be making 
big changes like implementing SAP, that doesn't tick the box for a full business transformation for me. But nevertheless, it is a big change. But I distinguish those those two. Getting it very much planted into that sort of value creation piece um, is, is, I think, absolutely very, very relevant and, and, and very apt in terms of, you know, why would you transform? Because if, if, if you're just transforming for transforming sake, what's the, what, 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 what's the point, really? So if, but if it is very much focused around, as you say, where do you deliver value now? And how are you going to deliver value in the future? And, and as you say, getting the, the um, um, ownership of the top team is, is critical aspect, I find. Yeah, no, absolutely is. And I think what I find, Tony, you know, clients will probably be in kind of two or three scenarios. One, they'll be doing really well, but they'll be untapped potential in the business. And so that really is a transformation for me of good to great. How do you fight the complacency and get that sort of transformation? Or, you know, there's an obvious need because... Um, performance hasn't been what it should be. And so the commitments made, say, to the city haven't been achieved. Or you'll be in the really difficult situation of distress. You know, this is a business that's going on. So I think organisations can come at transformation from different um, lenses, but nevertheless, it's the same sort of process and and, and journey that you're going to go on, but maybe they're in slightly different situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and just coming back to uh, a little bit about your, your history and your career, um, you, you were saying earlier that you've been involved in significant global transformation uh, activities, but also on significant M&A transactions. Yeah. So what's the commonality um, in terms of the approach that you take on those? Or, you know, where, where are the differences? And uh, it'd be interesting just to explore those. Yeah, I mean, I do see an integration as a, a transformation activity if it's being used to make fundamental change to the operating model, right? So I guess they they start in a similar place for me, which is on the value case. So whether it's a transformation, it's looking at where are the value um, opportunities? What's the differences that we need to make? And it's the same with an integration. You're looking at saying, how do you get the one plus one equals three? If we build these businesses together, where does the um, sort of value come from? It's slightly different. I mean, I guess it's more prescribed in a integration because you've got a clear objective, which is, you know, bring these two uh, businesses together. And the questions are often around, you know, your deal thesis. So do you want to make sure that this business is truly integrated and you're in a best of both scenario? Or are you seeing this as a bit of a bolt on, you know, acquisition, i.e. that business is going to run, it may stay under its own brand, and therefore there isn't that sort of transformative um, opportunity. But the similarities are the same, you know, you're still looking at the financial value case, you're still looking at, you know, the people journey. So how are we going to create a compelling case for change and how are we going to take people with us? And that can be bringing two different together, or that can obviously be within the organisation, how do you create that? And you're still going to need, you know, fantastic leadership. So you're still going to need that top team, um, visible commitment. You're still going to need the board to be asking the right questions and probing the conversation and making sure that it's delivering to the to the value case. Uh, there tends to be a lot of urgency in both situations. So MA we're running obviously to a timeline, as you know, and, and likewise the transformation should be. So it's high pace, high energy, high momentum um, on both kind of um, scenarios. But they're both really interesting for me for, for different reasons. 
Yeah, you've you mentioned um, a lot so far about value creation, value delivery. So what are the key components that, that you need to have in place to ensure that that value is actually delivered in the end? Yeah, so I think the first one uh, I was often talked to an organisation about, which is having a real ambition. And so the, you should really be feeling like um, it, it feels lofty and it feels from where you're starting from now, I would expect there to be a nervousness around is that achievable? And that's when you know you've set the right goal. It shouldn't feel like an easy and um, sort of quick quick win. So I think that is a fundamental. And it's worth getting challenge on that. So I often you know, talk to organisations about where is the challenge to your ambition going to come from? That can be the board for doing that. You know, it, it can be an external advisors that you, you might bring in, but you need someone to kick the tyres because you're almost like doing a private equity style due diligence to drive out where that value is going to come from. I think once you've identified the value case, then it's about saying, with all the activity you've got going on, is that laddering up? And quite often, as you know, Tony, an organisation will have so many initiatives um, going in many, many different places. So it's an opportunity to do a bit of a clean up and say, maybe some things need to stop or be repurposed because actually now we've got our ambition and everything needs to ladder up to that. So there's a bit of work to do. But you're then taking that value case and breaking it up into a program. So what are the work streams that are going to deliver that? Who are the people who's going to sit on those work streams? What's the plan um, to make sure it happens, which is why you set up either a, an integration management office or a transformation management office or your IMO or TMO. That's keeping the drumbeat in the organization and keeping everyone honest that they're delivering that um, value case. And so you should always have uh, tracking. So in an MA sense, I always say, you know, have someone to keep score. Um, who's responsible for making sure you're tracking your benefits and they're actually um, being delivered? Because as you know, you know, the, the failure rate on transformation is is pretty high. We get the 70% the is often yeah. quoted. Um, and it's not really that it ever gets declared in my experience as a failure, although sometimes the press will pick up on um, ones that do go disastrously wrong. It tends to just peter out. And actually what happens is they'll recreate another transformation. And so people think, well, how is this transformation different to the last one? It almost just, it's never declared a failure and we restart and, and, and refresh again. It almost merges, I think, in people's minds that one transformation just leads to another and they feel yeah. like one's in that constant state. But those are typically the things that make sure that you're um, you know, delivering that value case. I agree. And, and um, that whole concept of one transformation rolling to another, um, to some extent, I think the city are driving those and it's almost the chief execs get out a jail card to say we're putting this transformation together now it's going to be a two three year program this is what we're doing this is the end point bugger off leave us alone let us get on with it yeah no it's true it's almost become like this continuous cycle of transformation and one just blends into another and you know the classic is obviously as a new chief executive comes in yeah. they think about their three-year term and we'll have a three-year transformation program and if it's successful great they may stay for another term and if not someone will come in with a with a similar transformation and it was interesting I read in the paper I think it was yesterday about MS's transformation and it's not one I've been um, involved in but it showed like the journey of they've almost had several attempts at this and now they've got it yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's taken several iterations and several leaders to make that work. 
No, absolutely. And, and I think you know, change is ever-present. You have to be agile. You have, you've got to be uh, reflective of the customer and client needs and, 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 and be ahead of the curve where possible. But as you say, sometimes the impact of this sort of continual drive of transformation after transformation after transformation, people get tired of it. What, what do you do in those situations and, and what, what's worked well for you? Yeah, great, great question, Tony. I think for me, I always ask that question when I go in. So I'll, I'll get a sense of how change weary this organisation is. And you're right, you almost need to then work with that in terms of what you do. I think one of the critical things for me, you have to really understand the energy of the organisation and, and where they are, because then you can play your communication and engagement strategy absolutely to that. So for me, it starts with that why. Why are we doing it? And is it compelling for people? And what I think some organisations don't quite get right is that they frame it around a financial issue, which for most people in the morning when they're getting out of bed probably don't think of that. So they'll think more about serving their customer, you know, collaborating with their team. And so I think you have to get the real why for people that's beyond just financial. And we know, you know, with purpose being really important, you have to tie that purpose, that profit, and all of the drivers together for people to start feeling um, energized. The second one for me is I don't think enough is done around development opportunity. So transformations, integrations, they're great for developing people. And so actually, you want people to feel excited and be part of it. So I think always making sure you link your program to people's personal development objectives. Often you're asking people to do things they've not done before, and it's a great opportunity and a great opportunity for their career. The other ones are making sure you keep the beat. So communications, I would say, often is not enough. Um, You have to almost feel like you're over communicating. So and making sure you're taking people on that journey and the communications aren't just corporate speak, but they actually talk to people um, in the reality and, and what it means for them. So I think there's the communication journey can really help. Leaders can really help. Um, they can. They need to be advocates for the programme. Again, the worst scenarios I see is where they're publicly saying the right things, but they're sent into their team in private. And you create a real disconnect that people think, okay, they're cynical about it. I'm not going to jump on the bus. And so there's enabling that old leadership. I find technology can really help. So technology can often connect people. I think, you know, I've done a lot of global transformation integration. So it's not new for me to be screen working because not everyone can be together. So the challenge is how do you make it touch everyone and in the right way? So collaboration platforms are often a great one where people can just chat and post things. I think making sure you're building enough time just for conversations with people. So not everything has to be, you know, a steer co with a committee and a work stream lead meeting with an agenda. Just have those water cooler conversations where you chat to people and find out what's really going on in their world I often find that and then I think just keeping the pulse on where the energy is because you have to almost get these I find in transformations it's almost like cycles of um, activity pause reflect and activity and so if you're in that kind of iteration just working with where people are likely to be energized if people are you know completely shattered and need some time out 
make sure that they get that. And so being really on top of the team's morale and uh, motivation. I found that, you know, particularly in the MA where you pull in long hours because you've got to get a deal over the line, you've got to prepare. Um, just being really cognizant of the team and um, how they're feeling and do they need some time out and all of that, I think, really helps create that kind of um, the energy that you need to, to carry it through. Yeah, I, I think the um, the one size fits all in terms of engagement, communication, etc., just doesn't work. It, it is about taking taking a much more individual look at individual members of the team, individual teams, individual geographies, offices, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because they, they will all um, respond and react in different ways, and it, it's it's it's. It's that ability to to listen, isn't it, and to observe um, is just as important as getting the message right, um, because then you can adapt the message accordingly if you're listening and observing. Yeah, no, you're completely right. I think that customization and being really attuned to people and how they're feeling, it just means you land the right message at the right time. The worst thing is when you're completely at cross purposes and you're not, you haven't got your antenna, as I often describe it, in the organisation to really um, know what's going on. And you need to, you know, psychological safety is probably another one I, I didn't talk about, but making sure people are comfortable to raise their hand and say yeah. something's not working. I've, I've seen environments where, you know, it's a bit more command control and people aren't really empowered to speak up. But actually, when you're going to run a transformation, you need to get that right off the bat, you know, tell me what's not working because we're here to fix it. Let's just create that. You can almost create a subculture within within the transformation to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that you've got to encourage because you can't stop it. You know, if if, if you try to if you, if you try to um, stop it, it will still go on. The communication, the in in a chat within teams, will still go on, and yeah. and 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 some individuals within the organisation will become quite powerful. And they'll get lots of followers if if they're if, if they're not supportive, and um, the opportunity to really get them to talk and open up. And convert them. They, I find that they very quickly become really good advocates for the change. Yeah. If you can convert them, if you can catch them early enough, and you can convert them early enough, they yeah. become really strong advocates. Yeah. No, I found that too. I think your real cynics, if you convert them, is actually more powerful than someone who was always supportive, right? Because they've made that flip. Yeah. We've, we've spoken quite about a number of key components in your experience of driving successful change. Tell me, tell me a, a couple of examples where you've gone in and things haven't gone according to plan. And, and I suppose two things. One, how did you identify that, that they weren't going according to plan? And, and you know, what are the typical things that you do to turn that, that situation around? Yeah, so a scenario I've faced a number of times, Tony, is when um, you find out that the transformation is not a top priority for the organization. And so I think that for me is one that's a real challenge. So I will often ask the CEO, how does this fit in your priority staff? If they say, I've got 20 other things, this is just another one on the list. It's a real red flag for me. And that's happened to me a couple of times. I think the way you turn that around is it goes back to, um, have you got the value case right? Because if you have, that wouldn't be the answer. The answer would be, it's going to be my number one, maybe two, if it's a health and safety focused organization, but it, it's got to be one or 
two top priority because it should be their entire agenda of turning around and transforming the the business so the way that i've done that where i haven't seen that level of commitment is one gone back to the value case and said are we being challenging enough are you really bought into this is the journey for the organization and i will involve at the right point of the board into that conversation to make sure you have got everyone aligned and, and on the journey so that's definitely one scenario I, I, when i mentioned to you before about that uh, publicly supporting, uh, privately dissenting. Yeah. That definitely happened to me a number of times. I was working with, yeah, it was an, an energy uh, business and it all felt too good. You know, when everyone's saying the right thing that you want to hear. Um, and then it was interesting then to start having, and once people opened up and were a bit more comfortable, um, these kind of real worries and and you know concerns about the direction that the business was going in so again in that scenario what I've what I've done is you know just add that open conversation and put it onto the table and again if you create that right environment that's not a negative thing to be doing it's absolutely fine to say hands up I don't think this is quite right let's get around the table and figure out what we um, need yeah. to do but you do have to separate out so often I think what can cloud something is people's own individual feelings. So often they will dissent about a change, not because they don't believe, let's say, the organization should evolve to be in a SaaS business or change its operating model. They're going to, can I actually do that as my, myself? Or, yeah. or actually, am I so wedded in what I do? I can't personally change it. You have to, have to separate out between um, an individual's personal resistance, i.e. they just don't want to change, they feel nervous. And so quite often you end up in these kind of coaching relationships yeah. inadvertently because you're having to work with people from a personal perspective. Um, but you have to separate out the noise, I would say. But again, it's it's about getting it all on the all on the table. And I will always come back to the people one, which is, have you defined for people the new ways of working? Do they understand that journey? And are we enabling them? Are we giving them the support, the encouragement, the reward, the incentivization, and indeed those nudges along the way that mean you change change the behaviour? Yeah, you, you, as you say, you've got to engage with them, haven't you? And, and not engage just to send a message out, but really engage because, as you say, the first thing that people... The first thought that people will have when you make an announcement of a major change or, 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 or transformation program is what does that mean for me? What's the impact on me? And, and, and you can't avoid that. And the sooner you can get into the detail about what it means to them, it, you, you, you do two things. If it's negative to them, at least they know and they'll, and they'll, 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 they might not be comfortable with it, but they'll, they'll, they'll accept the honesty. Um, but more, more, more often than not, I find that people uh, think the worst when it's never going to be that bad. Yeah. So the sooner you can start to take them around on, on that journey, as you mentioned earlier, um, to, uh, to be clear about what, what, what the future will hold for them, the better, because then, as, as we said earlier, they'll become advocates again and, and support and start to get much more involved in... in helping you to understand some of the minutiae of the detail yeah. that you need to know to be able to get there faster, quicker, better. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think you triggered a thought, Tony, for me, which is 
Um, we don't often paint that end state well enough, I don't think, up front. And I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person of this. We go in with good intent. We've got the ambition. We know what we need to achieve. We go into project mode. We get our work streams. We get all our cadences set up. But what we fail to do early on is paint that end state picture and make it really real for people. So they've got a North Star yeah. in mind. We tend to get to that later down um, the program. And so that I think what keeps people in whole pattern sometimes is they don't really know what, what it is that they're being asked of until later down the road. Yeah. So they're having to take a leap of faith with you that, yeah, this will become clear as, as we go down the path, but maybe it's not that super clear up front. And, and I find that we don't do that that often because maybe we're afraid of some of the questions that we don't have the answers to. Because, you know, when you're starting stuff off, you don't know. You, you've got a good idea. And, uh, but when you go into the level of detail, you won't know what the detail will look like two years down the line because that's part of the process is, is to get there. Um, but equally, I find that let's open up and let's ask, pe let's ask people to ask those questions and just be honest with you and say, look, we don't know at this stage, but come along. You can help us come up with a solution and come up with the answer. And um, People buy into that. Yeah, because I think people want to feel part of something. And I think that's even been more pronounced right through the pandemic. Everyone wants to feel connected to something. Everyone wants a common mission, a common purpose, a common goal. So how do you really knit people together and make them feel part of it, whether they're at a distance, whether they're with you in the room? That I think that's the, the big challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely. So people find change generally stressful and, and and as you say you know when you are leading a program especially on a, a M&A type of activity where it is quite high pressure it can be quite stressful long hours etc um, what do you do to alleviate that stress what what sort of um, things do you do just to get away from it and and, and take a breath you know and uh, yeah. and, and recompose I suppose yeah, and no, I think it's a great question, um, Tony. So I do a number of things. One, I live near Regent's Park, so I'm an avid walker in the park, and I tend to borrow my neighbour's dog um, for that. Yes. And that's a great stress reliever. And sometimes it's nice just to, you know, do that. If you're working at home, do that in the middle of the day. But also, for me, that's where I have my breakthrough thinking moments. Yeah, yeah. Never under pressure in the moment. Uh, but I find if I take myself out of a situation, it's where... You know, I, I do a lot of um, kind of thinking. So for me, yeah, getting into nature and getting out and, you know, uh, go for walks. You you reminded me in our pre-chat about Windermere, you know, getting to places like the lakes and really like being able to switch off. I think, you know, absolutely do all of that. I mean, I'm, I like those conversations I also mentioned to you, which is those water cooler conversations to term it. But, you know, making sure in your diary you've got time for just general catch-up there's no agenda let's just talk things through um i find great you know great help in just often talking things through i mean i like writing so i i tend to write a lot i write a lot of articles and things but again that is quite a stress reliever for me because if i write something down yeah. actually just the process of thinking about something for a period of time and having that reflection is 
important for me. But I've, I've done that, you know, I've had teams where I think one particular M&A deal, which was challenging, we were getting in the morning at seven and then we were leaving around 11 p.m. And it, it, it was over periods of, you know, weeks. And so, you know, some of the team had come to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a bit of pressure now. I, I need some. And, and that was a great, you know, moment for us as a team to go, A, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Um, B, let's all just call out. It's a great, you know, um, role modeling. Let's just call out when we personally need to detach and so we had this where we would just call out and say you know I can't go to that meeting tonight at eight because uh, personally I just need a bit of downtime I need to go for a run I need to go and you know feed the cow whatever it might be we we built that into the program so almost now in my programs I have that well-being as a agenda item you know how are we making sure we're taking care of ourselves and do we all actually need to be in all those meetings or actually can we uh, divide and conquer a little bit more? Because you're right, those the eye pressure of M&A and in this particular one, you know, things were changing all the time and repricing was going on. And, you know, I was trying to keep an integration team um, as stable as possible. And so we were doing all those things. But again, I think it comes back to that openness of conversation because yeah. if I'm leading the team I also am responsible a for role modeling um, what I say and so you've got to make sure that you're living yourself in, in what you're advising others so I would make sure I'm deliberately going home at five today because um, I need a bit of replenishment time I think you have to set that from um, the top even if you're not you know permanently leading in that organization for that period of time you're a role model for that um, teams you've got to, you've just got to embrace that and kind of role model it yourself but yeah these transformations and integrations you know they're not for the faint-hearted they are long sprints the other thing I do is I take a break between projects so I have the flexibility because I'm not permanently working in an organization I will plan some downtime in between and I need that decompression before I go back I energy into one of those situations so I'm a big fan of you know not in COVID but jumping on the plane um, and getting away and getting some sun or going to a different city yeah um, I think you have to plan those real replenishment breaks in between agreed but I, but I think it is, it, it's planning those timeouts, isn't it? Just giving yourself a bit of time, as you said, to walking in the region park with next door neighbour's dog. But it's just a little bit of getting back into nature, I find, is always useful. Um, but just giving yourself the time and, and, and coming back to what you were saying earlier, letting your subconscious mind take over as opposed to your conscious mind, because that's where the ideas come from, isn't it? And that's where your insights come from. Yeah, no, I, think it's a, I think it's a great point. I would say pretty much all of my breakthrough ideas will happen when I least expect it. If I'm yeah. thinking under the pressure of a meeting or, you know, in a scenario where there's a time crunch, um, it's not that you doesn't get the best out of people necessarily. Yeah. We're all different, right? You've got to play to your own, yeah. your own strengths. The other important thing that I, do, I think you've just raised there, though, is as a leader, as someone who's running a programme or running a team, you've got to be open and and encourage people with members of your team to come and say actually i need a break just be open and transparent and and if you need a break go and have a break because it's 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 not about inputs it's about outputs isn't it and if you and, and outcomes yeah you're completely right it's back to this whole debate around working from home isn't it there's a currently a big divide between CEOs wanting everyone back in the office and people saying hey I can be just as productive and I guess you know one of the positives to come out of the dreadful Covid 
crisis, I think, is reversing what you've you've just talked about, which I agree as a young consultant, I remember, you know, it was almost a badge of honour that you would be (laughs) at the office really early and then you would be the last one there just in case, you know, the partner passed by or the client and it was almost like a badge of honour. People would talk in, you know, bragging terms, wouldn't they? Like how they would brag about how long they were working as almost a a badge of honour. Whereas I think what shifted and I think COVID really catapulted that as a shift is people now recognize that doesn't matter where the work gets done it's all about an outcome um it's not about presenteeism uh because often we we don't know what where people are if we're not seeing them through a screen and so i think that's been a real positive that sort of um way of work and it's always sad to still read where people you know had unfortunate illness or passed away from working too longer hours it's you know it's it's shocking but I, i do think that is a trend that's thankfully shifting. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and I, I think the other positive that's come out of um, of the COVID situation as well, um, I was talking to someone earlier uh, today about it, is just a much more willingness to talk about mental health yeah. and much more a, a much higher level of awareness of mental health. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that will continue. Yeah. And it's often, isn't it? It's building those personal relationships. So you have those dialogues with people. So they're comfortable talking to you about own life, work life and everything in between. I think once you've got that dialogue going on, it's much easier then, isn't it, to to work with that? Absolutely. Final question, the one that we always finish up on. What's your one takeaway? What's the one thing that you need to have in every programme? Yeah, Tony, it comes back to me what we've um, talked about, which is people. So take good care of the people that you're working with, the people in your team, the people you're trying to influence, the leaders that you're working with. Everyone is under pressure and stress, and these are stressful, high-risk environments where people are, you know, perhaps doing things for the first time and the pressures on the stakes are high, right? And so for me, it's within all of that ecosystem, just check in with people, make sure they're in a good place, find out what you can perhaps do to help them remove any roadblocks. But for me, it's that, it's wrap your arms around um, the people you're working with. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Karen. It's been, it's been great to uh, have this chat over the last 30, 40 minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. Please, um, I love to get a virtual coffee with anyone. Please, you know, get in touch. Uh, come and look at my website, Seven Transformation, as a shameless plug. And I have a transformation survey. I'd love people to fill in um, if you want to diagnose your own program. And yes, happy to take any questions, comments, challenge. Uh, I love all of that interaction. So thank you, Tony. No, that's brilliant. And and I have to say, it they, it was the uh, it was the survey that. Uh, connected us in the first place wasn't it so uh, absolutely yeah so yeah please do go out and 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 uh, and go through the survey fantastic Thank Brilliant. You. cheers karen thanks a lot thanks karen that was a great session and um, thank you for your openness and sharing of your experience the transformation leaders group is continuing to grow and we have recently launched the one percent club So if you're a freelance consultant looking to transition into the world of consultancy, reach out to us and schedule a one-to-one strategy session where we'll go in-depth looking at what it would take to make that transition successful. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.